story eleven of the thirteen travelers by hugh walpole this librivox recording is in the public domain story eleven nobody the only one of them all who perceived anything like the truth was young clarabel clarabel how she hated the absurd name had a splendid opportunity for observing everything in life simply because she was so universally neglected the matchams and the dorsets and the duddons all the relations in fact simply considered her of no importance at all she did not mind this she took it entirely for granted as she did her plainness her slowness of speech her shyness in company her tendency to heat spots her bad figure and all the other things with which an undoubtedly all-wise god had seen fit to endow her it was only that having all these things clarabel was additionally an unfortunate name but then most of them called her carrie and the boys fetch and carrie often enough she was taken with the others to parties and teas in order as she very well knew that critical friends and neighbors should not say that the dorsets always neglected that plain child of theirs poor thing she sat in a corner and was neglected but that she did not mind in the least she liked it it gave her all the more the opportunity of watching people the game that she liked best of all the world she played it without any sense at all that she had unusual powers it was much later than this that she was to realize her gifts it was this sitting in a corner in the horton flat that enabled her to perceive what it was that had happened to her cousin tom of course she knew from the public standpoint well enough what had happened to him simply that he had been wounded three times once in gallipoli and twice in france that he had received the dso and been made a major but it was something other than that that she meant she knew that all the brothers and the sisters the cousins the uncles and the aunts proclaimed gleefully that there was nothing the matter with him at all it's quite wonderful they all said to see the way that dear tom has come back from the war just as he went into it his same jolly generous self everyone's friend not at all conceited how wonderful that is when he's done so well and has all that money that was clarabel knew the thing that everyone said tom had always been her own favorite he had not considered her the least little bit more than he had considered anyone else he always was kind but he gave her a smile and a nod and a pat and she was grateful then he had always seemed to her a miraculous creature his whole history in the war had only increased that adoration she loved to look at him and certainly he must in anyone's eyes have been handsome with his light shining hair his fine open brow his slim straight body his breeding and distinction and nobility to all of this was suddenly added wealth his uncle the head of the biggest biscuit factory in england dying and leaving him everything his mother and he had already been sufficiently provided for at his father's death but he was now through uncle bob's love for him an immensely rich man this had fallen to him in the last year of the war when he was recovering from his third wound after the armistice freed from the hospital he had taken a delightful flat in horton's his mother preferred the country and was cosy with dogs a parrot a butler and bees 
in wiltshire and it was here that he gave his delightful parties it was here that clarabelle watching him from her corner made her great discovery about him her discovery quite simply was that he did not exist that he was dead that there was nobody there she did not know what it was that caused her just to be aware of her ghostly surprise she had in the beginning been taken in as they all had been he had seemed on his first return from the hospital to be the same old tom whom they had always known for some weeks he had used a crutch and his cheeks were pale his eyes were sunk like bright jewels into dark pouches of shadow he had said very little about his experiences in france that was natural none of the men who had returned from there wished to speak of it he had thrown himself with apparent eagerness into the dancing the theatres the house parties the shooting the flirting all the hectic eager life that seemed to be pushed by everyone's hand into the dark ominous silence that the announcement of the armistice had created then how they had all crowded about him clarabelle seated in her dark little corner had summoned them one by one mrs freddie matcham with her high bright colour and wonderful hair her two daughters clarabelle's cousins lucy and amy so pretty and so stupid the voluminous dorsets with all their bimister connections hattie dorset dolly pym dorset rose and emily then the men young harwood dorset who was no good at anything but danced so well henry matcham capable and intelligent would he only work pelham dudden ambitious and grasping then her own family her elder sisters morgrunt what a name who married rex bemister and they hadn't a penny and lucille unmarried pretty and silly and dora serious and plain and a miser oh clarabelle knew them all she wondered as she sat there how she could not know them all as she did and after that how they could be so unaware that she did know them she did not feel herself preternaturally sharp only that they were unobservant or simply perhaps that they had better things to observe the thing of course that they were all just then observing was tom and his money the two things were synonymous and if they couldn't have the money without tom they must have him with it not that they minded having tom he was exactly what they felt a man should be beautiful to look at easy and happy and casual a splendid sportsman completely free of that tiresome analysis stuff that some of the would-be clever ones thought so essential they liked tom and approved of him and oh how they wanted his money there was not one of them not in need of it clarabelle could see all their dazzling shining eyes fixed upon those great piles of gold their beautiful fingers crooked out towards it clarabelle did not herself want money what she wanted more than she allowed herself to think was companionship and friendship and affection and that she was inclined to think she was fated never to obtain the day when she first noticed the thing that was the matter with tom was one wet stormy afternoon in march they were all gathered together in tom's lovely sitting-room in horton's 
tom without being exactly clever about beautiful things had a fine sense of the way that he wished to be served and the result of this was that his flat was neat and ordered everything always in perfect array his man sheraton was an ideal man he had been tom's servant before the war and now released from his duties was back again there was no reason why he should ever now depart from them he having as he once told claribelle a contemptuous opinion of women under sheraton's care that long low-ceilinged room lined with bookcases tom loved fine bindings with its gleaming polished floor some old family portraits and rich curtains of a gleaming dark purple to claribelle this place was heaven it would not of course have been so heavenly had tom not been so perfect a figure moving against the old gold frames the curtains the leaping fire looking so exactly claribel thought the younger image of old theophilus dudden stiff and grand up there on the wall in his white stock and velvet coat tom's great-grandfather on this particular day claribel's sister morgrant bemister and lucille mrs matcham hattie dorset and some men were present tom was sitting over the rim of a big leather chair near the fire his head tossed back laughing at one of lucille's silly jokes mrs matcham was at the table pouring out and sheraton rather stout but otherwise a fine example of the admirable crichton handed around the food they were laughing as they always did at nothing at all lucille's shrill barking laugh above the rest from the babble claribel caught phrases like dear old tom but he didn't he hadn't got the intelligence tom you're a pet oh but of course not what stuff why harriet herself through it all sheraton moved with his head back his indulgent indifference his supremely brushed hair it was just then claribel caught the flash from mrs matcham's beautiful eyes everyone had their tea there was nothing left for her to do she sat there her lovely hands crossed on the table in front of her her eyes lost apparently in dim abstraction claribel saw that they were not lost at all but were bent obliquely with a concentrated and almost passionate interest upon tom mrs matcham wanted something and she was determined this afternoon to ask for it what was it money her debts were notorious jewels she was insatiable there freddie matcham couldn't give her things old lord ferris wanted to but wasn't allowed to claribel knew all this young though she was there remained then as always tom thrilled by this discovery of mrs matcham's eyes claribel pursued her discoveries further and the next thing that she saw was that lucille also was intent upon some prize her silly bright little eyes were tightened for some very definite purpose they fastened upon tom like little scissors claribel knew that lucille had developed recently a passion for bridge and being stupid yes lucille wanted money claribel allowed herself a little shudder of disgust she was only seventeen and wore spectacles and was plain but at that moment she felt herself to be infinitely superior to the whole lot of them she had her own private comfortable arrogances it was then while she was despising them that she made her discovery about tom 
she looked across at him wondering whether he had noticed any of the things that had struck her she at the same time sighed seeing that she had made as she always did a nasty sloppy mess in her saucer and knowing that margrant the watchdog of the family would be certain to notice and scold her for it she looked across at tom and discovered suddenly that he wasn't there the shell of him was there the dark clothes the black tie with the pearl pin the white shirt the faintly coloured clear-cut mask with the shining hair the white throat the heavy eyelashes the shell the mask nothing else she could never remember afterwards exactly what it was that made her certain that nobody was there lucille was talking to him eagerly repeating as she always did her words over and over again he was apparently looking up at her a smile on his lips margrant so smart with the teasing blue feather in her hat was looking across at them intent upon what lucille was saying he was apparently looking at lucille and yet his eyes were dead sightless like the eyes of a statue in his hand he apparently held a cigarette and yet his hand was of marble no life ran through the veins Clarabelle even fancied, so deeply excited had she become, that you could see the glitter of the fire through his dark body as he sat carefully balanced on the edge of the chair. There was nobody there, and then, as she began to reflect, there never had been anybody since the armistice. Tom had never returned from France. Only a framework with clothes hung upon it, a doll, an automaton, did tom's work and fulfilled his place tom's soul had remained in france he did not really hear what lucille was saying he did not care what any of them were doing and that of course accounted for the wonderful way that during these past weeks he had acquiesced in every one of their proposals they had many of them commented on tom's extraordinary good nature now that he had returned you really could do anything with him that you pleased Clarabelle had heard Morgrant triumphantly exclaim, "'Well, so you can, with a corpse.' As she stared at him and realized the dramatic import of her discovery, she was suddenly filled with pity. Poor Tom! How terrible that time in France must have been to have killed him like that, and nobody had known. They had thought that he had taken it so easily— he had laughed and jested with the others, had always returned to France gaily. How terrified he must have been before he died. As she watched him, he got up from the chair and stood before the fire, his legs spread out. The others had gathered in a corner of the room, busied around Hattie, who was trying some new jazz tunes on the piano. Mrs. Matcham got up from her table and went over to Tom and began eagerly to talk to him her hands were clasped behind her beautiful back and clarabelle could see how the fingers twisted and untwisted again and again over the urgency of her request clarabelle saw tom's face the mask was the lovelier now because she knew that there was no life behind it she saw the lips smile the eyes shine the head bend it was to her as though someone were turning an electric button behind there in the middle of his back he nodded mrs matcham laughed oh you darling clarabelle heard her cry if you only knew what you've done for me the party was over they all began to go 
Clarabelle was right. There was nobody there. When everybody had gone that evening and the body of Tom was alone, it surveyed the beautiful room. Tom's body, which may for the moment be conveniently but falsely called Tom, looked about and felt a wave of miserable, impotent uselessness. Tom summoned Sheraton. "'Clear all these things away,' he said. "'Yes, sir. I'm going out.' "'Yes, sir. Dinner jacket tonight, sir?' "'No, I'm not dressing.' He went to the door, then turned round. "'Sheraton?' "'Yes, sir. What's the matter with me?' "'I beg your pardon, sir.' "'What's the matter with me? You know what I mean as well as I do. Ever since I came back, I can't take an interest in anything, not in anything, nor in anybody.' Today, for instance, I didn't hear a word that they were saying, not one of them, and they made enough noise, too. I don't care for anything. I don't want anything. I don't like anything. I don't hate anything. It's as though I were asleep, and yet I'm not asleep either. What's the matter with me, Sheraton? Sheraton's eyes, that had been so insistently veiled by decent society, as expressionless as a pair of marbles, were suddenly human. Sheraton's voice, which had been something like the shadow of a real voice, was suddenly full of feeling. "'Why, sir, of course I've noticed, being with you before the war and all, and being fond of you, if you'll forgive my saying so, so that I always hoped that I'd come back to you. Why, if you ask me, sir, it's just the bloody war. That's all it is. I felt something of the same kind myself. I'm getting over it a bit. It'll pass, sir. The war leaves you kind of dead.' people don't seem real any more if you could get fond of some young lady mr dudden i'm sure thanks sheraton i dare say you're right he went out it was a horrible night the march wind was tearing down duke street hurling itself at the windows plucking with its fingers at the doors screaming and laughing down the chimneys the decorous decencies of that staid bachelor St. James's world seemed to be nothing to its mood of willful bad temper. Through the clamor of banging doors and creaking windows, the bells of St. James's church could be heard striking seven o'clock. The rain was intermittent and fell in sudden little gusts, like the subsiding agonies of a weeping child every once and again a thin wet wisp of a moon showed dimly gray through heavy piles of driving cloud tom found bond street almost deserted of foot passengers buttoning his high blue collar up around his neck he set himself to face the storm the drive of the rain against his cheeks gave him some sort of dim satisfaction after the close warm comfort of his flat somewhere far far away in him a voice was questioning him as to why he had given mrs matcham that money the voice reminded him of what indeed he very well knew that it was exactly like throwing water down a well that it would do milly matcham no good that it was wasted money well he didn't care the voice was too far away and altogether had too little concern with him to disturb him very deeply nothing disturbed him damn it nothing 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 when he was almost upon grosvenor street a sudden gust of wind drove at him so furiously that almost without knowing what he was doing instinctively he stepped back to take shelter beneath a wooden boarding 
here a street lamp gave a pale yellow color to the dark shadows and from its cover the street shot like a gleaming track of steel into the clustered lights of oxford street tom was aware that two people had taken shelter in the same refuge he peered at their dim figures he saw at once that they were old an old man and an old woman he did not know what it was that persuaded him to stare at them as though they could be of any importance to him nothing could be of any importance to him and he was attracted perhaps rather by a kind of snivelling sniffling noise that one of them made the old lady she had a terrible cold she sneezed violently and the old man uttered a scornful cha-cha like an angry battered bird then he peered up at tom and said in a complaining whining voice what a night yes it is said tom you'd better get home his eyes growing accustomed to the gloom he saw the pair distinctly the old man was wearing a high hat battered and set rakishly on the side of his head the collar of a threadbare overcoat was turned up high over his skinny neck he wore shabby black gloves the old lady sheltering behind the old man was less easily discerned she was a humped and disconcerted shadow with a feather in her hat and a sharp nose you'd better be getting home tom repeated wondering to himself that he stayed the old man peered up at him you're out for no good i reckon he mumbled waitin like this on a night like this there was a note in his voice of scornful patronage i'm not out for anything particular said tom simply taking a walk the old lady sneezed again you'd really better be going home your wife's got a terrible cold she's not my wife said the old man she's my sister if you want to know i don't want to know especially said tom well good night i see the rain stopped he stepped out into bond street and then on looking back he could never define precisely the impulse that drove him he hurried back to them you'd better let me get you a cab or something he said you really ought to go home the old man snarled at him you let us alone he said we haven't done you any harm the impulse persisted i'm going to get you a cab he said whether you like it or not none of your bloody philanthropy said the old man i know you maria and me's all right it was maria then who took the next step in the affair tom although he was afterwards to have a very considerable knowledge of that old lady could never definitely determine as to whether the step that she took was honest or no what she did was to collapse into the sodden pavement in a black and grimy heap the feather stood out from the collapse with a jaunty ironical gesture here mary said the old man very much as though he were addressing a recalcitrant horse you get up no sound came from the heap tom bent down he touched her soiled velvet coat lifted an arm felt the weight sink beneath him well he said almost defiantly to the old man what are you going to do now oh she's always doing it he answered and at the most aggravating moments then with something that looked suspiciously like a kick he repeated you get up maria look here you can't do that tom cried what an old devil you are we've got to get her out of this a voice addressed them from the street anything the matter it said tom turned and found that the driver of a taxi had pulled up his machine and was peering into the shadow yes there's been an accident tom said this lady's fainted we'd better get her home where's she going to said the driver suspiciously 
what business is that of yours cried the old man furiously you just leave us alone no you couldn't do that tom answered there'll be a policeman here in a moment and he'll have you home whether you want it or not you never can lift her yourself and you can't leave her there you'd better help me get her into the cab the old man began to gargle strangely in his throat policeman he seemed to say if i'd had my way well for once you haven't said tom shortly here driver help me lift her in where's she going he repeated if you don't help me at once i'll see that a policeman is here i've got your number you'll hear from me in the morning the man got off his box cursing he hesitated a moment then came across together he and tom lifted the inert mass pushed it through the door of the cab and settled it in the seat making my cab dirty and all growled the driver well said tom to the old man are you going to see your sister home if not i shall take her to the nearest hospital for a moment the old man remained perched up against the wall his top hat flaunting defiance to the whole world suddenly as though he had been pushed he came across to the driver eleven d porker's buildings victoria he said b asked the driver d you damned fool the old man almost shouted thought you said b remarked the driver very amiably the old man got in he was on one side of the motionless maria tom on the other that was a remarkable and even romantic ride the roads were slippery and the driver it appeared a little drunk the cab rocked like a drunken boat and the watery moon now triumphant over the clouds the gleaming pavement the houses gaunt in the uncertain moonlight and thin as though they had been cut from black paper seemed to be inebriated too maria shared in the general irresponsibility lurching from side to side and revealing now that her hat was on tom's lap an ancient peaked face with as many lines on it as an indian's and grey untidy hair she seemed a lifeless thing enough and yet tom had a strange notion that one eye was open and not only watching but winking as well it would have been the natural thing to have opened her dress and given her air to have poured whiskey or brandy down her throat to have tickled her with feathers tom did none of these things afterwards he imagined that his inaction was due to the fact that he knew all the time that she had not really fainted not a word was exchanged during the journey they drove down victoria street turned off on the right of westminster cathedral and drew up in a narrow dirty street a high block had porker's buildings printed in large ugly letters on the fanlight near the door you'd better help me lift her in tom said to the driver the old man's not good for anything the driver grunted but helped maria into the street the fresh night air seemed to refresh her she sighed and then sneezed maybe she can walk herself said the driver the door opened of itself, and Tom was in a dark, dingy hall with a faint gas-jet like a ghostly eye to guide him. The old man started up the stairs. "'Can you walk a bit?' Tom asked the old lady. She nodded. Tom paid the driver, and the door closed behind him. It was a hard fight to conquer the stairs, and Maria clung like a heavy bag round her deliverer's neck but on the third floor the old man unlocked a door walked in before them and lighted a candle he then sat himself down with his back to them pulled a grimy piece of newspaper out of his pocket and was apparently at once absorbed in reading 
the room was a wretched enough place one of the windows was stuffed with brown paper a ragged strip of carpet covered only a section of the cracked and dirty boards there was a grimy bed the fireplace was filled with rubbish tom helped maria onto the bed and looked about him then in a sudden fit of irritation he went up to the old man and shook him by the shoulder look here he said this won't do you've got to do something for her she may die in the night or anything i'll fetch a doctor if that's what you want or get something from the chemist oh go to hell said the old man without turning an impulse of rage seized tom and he caught the old man by the collar swung him out of the chair and shook him until he was breathless and coughing and then said now be civil the old man collapsed on the bed near his sister struggled for breath and then screamed you damned aristocrat i'll have you up before the courts for this invading a man's peaceable home then maria unexpectedly interfered she sat up smoothing her hair with her old trembling fingers i'm sure she said in a mincing apologetic voice that we ought to be grateful to the gentleman andrew if i'd been for him i'm sure i don't know where we'd have been it's your wicked temper you're always losing i've told you of it again and again i'm much better now thank you sir and i'm sure i'm properly grateful tom looked around him then back at the two old people what a filthy place he said haven't you got anybody to look after you a daughter ran away with a musical man said maria my husband died of dt three years back andrew and myself's alone now we got the old age pension and manage very nicely thank you well i'm coming back tomorrow," said tom fiercely turning on the old man do you hear that if you do said andrew i'll have the police after you oh no he won't said maria that's only his little way i'm sure we'll be pleased to see you tom put some money on the bed and left out in the street he paused what was the matter with him he stood in the street looking up at the westminster cathedral tower and the thin sheeting of sky now clear a pale boundless sea in which two or three little stars were remotely sailing what was the matter with him he felt a strange stirring and trembling about him he had some of the pain and hurt that a man feels when he is first revived from some drowning adventure but it was a pain and hurt of the soul not of the body his heart beat expectantly as though around the corner of the lonely street a wonderful stranger might suddenly be expected to appear he even strained his eyes against the shadows piercing them and finding only more shadows behind them he even felt tired and exhausted as though he had but now passed through a great emotional experience and all these sensations were clear and precious to him he treasured them standing there breathing deeply as though he were in new air of some high altitude the boom of big ben came suddenly across the silence like a summoning voice across waste deserted country and he went home when he awoke next morning he was aware that something had happened to him and he did not know what it was he lay there definitely beating back an impulse to spring out of bed hurry through his bath dress and have breakfast and then what he had not felt such an impulse since his return from france and it could not be that he felt it now simply because he had last night met two dirty bedraggled old people and helped them home he laughed sheridan hanging his shirt on the back of a chair turned well you're feeling better this morning sir he said 
yes i am said tom and i'm damned if i know why nevertheless although he did not know why before the morning was out he found himself once more behind victoria street and climbing the stairs of porker's buildings he had strange experiences that morning to many they would have been disappointing the old man was silent not a word would he say his attitude was one of haughty autocratic superiority maria disgusted tom she was polite cringing even and as poisonous as a snake she slated her wants quite modestly had it not been for her age you would have thought her a typical image of the downtrodden subjected poor her eyes glittered well you are a nasty old creature tom turned from her and shook andrew by the shoulder well said andrew there's nothing now i can do asked tom except get out said andrew another old woman came in then a young man a fine specimen this last a local prize-fighter it appeared chest like a wall thick stumpy thighs face of a beetroot color nose twisted ears like saucers the old woman maria's friend was voluble she explained a great deal to tom she was used it seemed to speaking in public they could afford she explained to be indifferent to the quality now because a time was very shortly coming when they would have everything and the quality nothing it had happened far away in russia and it was about to happen here a good thing too at last the poor people could appear as they really were hold their heads up only a month or two you're a bolshevist said tom long words did not distress the old lady a fine time's coming she said maria did not refuse the food and the finery and the money you think said tom as a final word to her old lady friend that i'm doing this because i'm charitable because i love you or some nonsense of that kind not at all i'm doing it because i'm interested and i haven't been interested in anything for months he arranged with the pugilist to be present at his next encounter somewhere in blackfriars next monday night it's against the bermondsey chick battling bill explained huskily i've got one on him your money's safe enough tom gave maria a parting smile i don't like you he said and i can see that you positively hate me but we're getting along very nicely it is at this point that claribel again takes up the narrative it was of course not many days before in tom's own world what's happened to tom was on everyone's lips claribel was interested as anyone and she had of course her own theories these theories changed from day to day but the fact patent to the world and beyond argument was that tom was nobody no longer life had come back to him he was eagerly passionately out upon some secret quest it amused claribel to watch her friends and relations as they set forth determined to lay bare tom's mystery mrs matcham who had her own very definite reasons for not allowing tom to escape declared that of course it was a woman but this did not elucidate the puzzle had it been some married woman tom would not have been so perfectly open about his disappearances he never denied for a moment that he disappeared he rather liked them to know that he did it was plainly nothing of which he was ashamed he had been seen at no restaurants with anyone no chorus girl no girl at all in fact 
dolly pym dorset who was a little sharper than the others simply because she was more determinedly predatory declared that tom was learning a trade he will turn up suddenly one day she said as a chauffeur or an engineer or a bootblack he's trying to find something to fill up his day he's found it lucille cried with her shrill laugh whatever it is it keeps him going he's never in sheraton declares he doesn't know where he goes it's disgusting old lord ferris who took an indulgent interest in all the dudden developments because of his paternal regard for mrs matcham declared that it was one of these new religions they're simply all over the place a feller catches em as he would the measles why i know a chap but no tom didn't look as though he had found a new religion he had made no new resolutions dropped no profanities lost in no way his sense of humour no it didn't look like a religion clarabel's convictions about it were not very positive she was simply so glad that he had become somebody again and she had perhaps a malicious pleasure in the disappointment of the set it amused her to see the golden purse slipping out of their eager fingers and they so determined to stay it the pursuit continued for weeks everyone was drawn into it even old lord john bemister who was beset with debts and gout stirred up his sister adela to see whether she couldn't discover something it was henry matcham who finally achieved the revelation he came bursting in upon them all the secret was out tom had turned a pie he was working down in the east end to save souls the news was greeted with incredulity tom soul-saving impossible tom the cynic the irreligious the despiser of dogma the arbiter of indifference incredible but matcham knew there could be no doubt a man he knew in brooks's had a brother a parson in an east end settlement the parson knew tom well said he was always down there in the men's clubs and about the streets they looked at one another in dismay clarabel laughed to see them what was to be done tom must be saved of course but how no plan could be evoked well the first thing we must do said mrs matcham is to get a plain statement from himself about it they sent clarabel as their ambassador realizing suddenly that she had some sense and that tom liked her she told him with a twinkle in her eye what they wanted they're all very much upset by what you're doing tom they don't want to lose you you see they're fond of you and they don't think it can be good for you being all the time with bolsheviks and dirty foreigners you'll only be taken in by them they think and robbed and that they can't bear especially they think that now after the war everyone ought to stand together shoulder to shoulder you know class by class that's the way henry matcham puts it of course they admire you very much what you're doing they think it very noble but all this slumming seems to them what did dolly call it oh yes vieux jeu the sort of thing young men did in the nineties centuries ago oxford house and all that it seems rather stupid to them to go back to it now especially when the war's shown the danger of bolshevism tom laughed why carrie he said how well you know them she laughed too anyway she said i know you better than they do 
Tom agreed that it would be a very good thing for them all to meet. They've got what's happened just a trifle wrong, he said. It's only fair to clear things up. They all appeared on the appointed day, Mrs. Matcham as president, in a lovely rose-colored tull for which she was just a little too old, Hattie, Dolly, Harwood, Dorset, Henry Matcham, Pelham Dudden, Morgrant, and Lucille, Dora, and of course Clarabelle. The event had the appearance of one of the dear old parties. The flat was just as beautiful, the tea as sumptuous, Sheraton as perfect, they hung around the same chairs, the same table, in all their finery and beauty and expense. They were as sure of conquest as they had ever been. Tom sat on the red leather top of the fireguard and faced them. Mrs. Matcham led the attack. "'Now, dear old Tom,' she said in that cooing and persuasive voice of hers, so well known and so well liked, "'you know that we all love you.' yes i know you do said tom grinning we do all of us you've just been a hero and we're all proud to death of you it's only our pride and our love for you that allows us to interfere we don't want to interfere but we do want to know what's happening henry has heard that you're working down in the east end doing splendidly and it's just like your dear old noble self but is it wise are you taking advice won't those people down there do you in, so to speak? I know that this is a time, of course, when we've all got to study social conditions. No thinking man or woman can possibly look round and not see that there is a great deal, a whole lot. Well, anyway, you know what I mean, Tom. But is it right, without consulting any of us, to go down to all those queer people? They can't like you, really, you know. It's only for what they can get out of you and all that. After all, your own people are your own people, aren't they, Tom, dear? I don't know, Tom looked up at her, smiling, but I don't think that's exactly the point. They may be, or they may not. Look here, you've got one or two wrong ideas about this. I want you to have the truth, and then we won't have to bother one another any more. You talk about my working and being noble and so on. That's the most awful Tommy rot. I'll tell you exactly what happened. I came back from France. At least, uh, no, I didn't come back. But my body came back, if you know what I mean. I stayed over there. At least, I suppose that is what happened. I didn't know myself what it was. I just know that I didn't exist. You all used to come to tea here and be awfully nice and so on, but I didn't hear a word any of you said. I hope that doesn't sound rude, but I'm trying to tell exactly what occurred. I didn't know what was the matter with me. I wasn't anybody at all. I was nobody. I didn't exist. And I asked Sheridan, and he didn't know either. And then one night... Tom paused. The dramatic moment had come. He knew the kind of thing that they were expecting, and when he thought of the reality, he laughed one night well you won't believe me i suppose if i tell you i was very unhappy no unhappy is too strong i was just nothing at all you'd all been here to tea and i went out for a walk down bond street to clear my head it was raining and i found two old things taking shelter under a wooden standing the old lady fainted while i was talking to them and i saw them home and well that's all that's all cried milly matcham do you mean tom that you fell in love with the old woman her laugh was shrill and anxious 
he laughed back fell in love that's just like you milly you think that love must be in it every time there isn't any love in this and there isn't any devotion or religion or high-mindedness or trying to improve them or any of the things you imagine on the contrary they hate me and i don't think that i'm very fond of them except that i suppose one has a sort of affection for anybody who's brought one back to life again when one didn't want to die henry matcham broke in tom look here upon my word i don't believe that one of us has the least idea what you're talking about tom looked around at them all and in spite of himself he was surprised at the change in their faces the surprise was a shock they were no longer regarding him with a gaze of tender almost proprietary interest the eyes that stared at his were almost hostile at any rate suspicious alarmed alarmed about what possibly his sanity possibly the misgiving that in a moment he was going to do or say something that would shock them all he realized as he looked at them that he had come quite unexpectedly upon the crisis of his life they could understand it were he philanthropic religious sentimental they were prepared for those things they had read novels they knew that such moods did occur what they were not prepared for what they most certainly would not stand was exactly the explanation that he was about to give them that would insult them assault the very temple of their most sacred assurances as he looked he knew that if he now spoke the truth he would forever cut himself off from them they would regard his case as hopeless it would be in the future poor tom he hated that and for what was he giving them up for the world that distrusted him disbelieved in him and would kill him if it could the rubicon was before him he looked at its swirling waters then without any further hesitation he crossed it he was never to return again i'm sorry to disappoint you all he said there's no sentimental motive behind my action no desire to make any people better nothing fine at all it simply is as i've said already that those two people brought me back to life again i don't know what except that i was suddenly interested in them i didn't like them and they hated me now i've become interested in their friends and relations i don't want to improve them they wouldn't let me if i did i came back from france nobody at all what happened there had simply killed all my interest in life and i'm awfully sorry to say it but none of you brought my interest back i think the center of interest changed it's as though there were some animal under the floor and the part of the room that he's under is the part that you look at because he's restless and it quivers well he's shifted his position that's all you aren't on the interesting part of the floor any more i do hate to be rude and personal but you have driven me to it all of you are getting back to exactly what you were before the war there's almost no change at all and you're none of you interesting i'm just as bad but i want to go where the interesting human beings are and there are more in the dirty streets than the clean ones in books like marcella years ago people went out of their own class because they wanted to do good i don't want to do good to anyone but i do want to keep alive now that i've come back to life again and that's all there is to it he ended lamely 
he had done as he had expected he had offended them all mortally he was arrogant proud supercilious and a little mad and they saw finally that they had lost him no more money for any of them well said henry matcham at last if you want to know tom i think that's about the rottenest explanation i've ever heard of course you're covering something up but i'm sure we don't want to penetrate your secret if you don't like us to there isn't any secret tom was beginning to be angry i tell you for the hundredth time i'm not going to start soup kitchens or found mission rooms or anything like that but i don't want any more of these silly tea parties or perpetual reviews or or or, or any of us dolly her cheeks flushed with angry color broke in all tom's been trying to explain to us is that he thinks we're a dull lot and the bolsheviks in the slums are more lively no tom broke in dolly that isn't fair i don't want to pick and choose according to class any more i don't want to be anything ever again with a name to it like a patriot or a democrat or a bolshevik or an anti-bolshevik or a capitalist i'm going by individuals wherever they are i oh forgive me he broke off i'm preaching i didn't mean to it's a thing i hate but it's so strange you none of you know how strange it is being dead so that you felt nothing and minded nothing and thought nothing and then suddenly waking but they had had enough tommy was trying to teach them teach them and tommy they must be going sadly angrily indignantly they melted away tom was very sorry there was nothing to be done only claribel taking his hand for a moment whispered it's all right they'll all come back later they'll be wanting things they were gone all of them he was alone in his room he drew back the curtains and looked down over the gray misty stream of duke street scattered with the marigolds of the evening lights he threw open a window and the roar of london came up to him like the rattle 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 of a weaver's shuttle he laughed he was happier than he had ever been before the whole world seemed to be at his feet and he no longer wished to judge it to improve it to dictate to it to dogmatize it to expect great things of it to be disappointed in it he would never do any of those things again he addressed it i did passionately wish you to be improved he said but i didn't love you now i know you will never be improved but i love you dearly all of you not a bit of you life simply isn't long enough for all i'm going to see End of story 11